Welcome to Bank of Singapore Unplugged. Hello, I'm Mark Lowdy. Welcome to Bank of Singapore's The Hot Seat, where we talk to top entrepreneurs and technopreneurs about what makes them tick and the secrets to their success. Today, Chatri Sityadong, the founder, chairman and chief executive of One Championship. One Championship has become Asia's biggest sports property. It attracts millions of martial arts fans all around the world. But for Chatri, this wasn't an easy journey. Came from a well-to-do family that lost it all. But he managed to put himself through business school on just $4 a day. Developed a career in both computer software as well as on Wall Street. But gave it all up to pursue his passion in martial arts. These days, one championship has become Asia's largest sports property. And with us today is the founder, chief executive and chairman, Chatri Sityatong. No, thank you so much for having me. Now, clearly, one championship, or one as your company is now called, is by any means successful. Asia's largest sports property in such a short space of time. You know, Bank of Singapore's very supportive of entrepreneurs, technopreneurs, and, and young people really uh, getting a foothold in, a, in the startup scene. Share with us some of those initial steps in one championship, because your first three years were also difficult, right? Yes, definitely. In Asian society, sports is not work. Sports is not a career. Sports is not a business. And at the time when we started, there was no startup culture at all in Southeast Asia as well, 10 years ago. I had a very simple thesis. Every region of the world has several multi-billion dollar sports properties that are part of the fabric of culture, history, and daily life. So the US has NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. Europe has Champions League, F1, EPL, and the like. Asia literally had nothing on a pan-Asian basis. And yet, Asia has been the home of martial arts for 5,000 years. So I naively thought, how hard can it be to unite four and a half billion people and create Asia's first global sports property? And the first three years were a complete disaster. Literally, we went to broadcasters, they thought it was a stupid idea. Why would anyone care about a sports property coming out of Asia? We already have NBA or, or EPL. Brands, governments, agencies, um, even potential employees, the media, everyone thought, it, and investors, everyone rejected us. And it was very, very bleak, very bleak. People thought it was a stupid idea crazy, and uh, it was an idea ahead of its time. But I was very fortunate and blessed to have a team who truly believed in what we were doing, and we were full of grit and resilience. We were the underdog, trying to change the world, convince everybody that building heroes who unleashed the world with hope, strength, dreams, and inspiration was a noble mission. Because since day one, that's been the mission of one, which is unleashing real-life superheroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and inspiration. And you think, well, how do martial arts world champions do that? It's actually not even about the championships or the martial arts or the fights. We always say we have three pillars, values, heroes, and stories. We want to spread values that every family can enjoy with their grandkids and grandparents. We want heroes who inspire entire countries and then we want to share stories of overcoming tragedy, adversity, poverty, whatever it may be, to inspire humanity, to elevate humanity to 
dream more, do more, and be more in life. And that is the ultimate mission of one. Yes, we have world champions. Yes, we have the largest global stage of martial arts. But underneath it all is a mission to genuinely elevate humanity. And we believed in it in the early days, and that got us through. And one by one, we convinced one broadcaster, two broadcasters, one brand, two brands. And today we're broadcasting 154 countries uh, every week around the world. Um, we have 50 million fans now on social media. Um, it's just exploded in, in popularity. You've spoken a lot about sacrifice, making lots of sacrifices in order to build the success that you've enjoyed. Tell us a little bit more about that journey and some of those defining moments that truly forged you in those flames. Well, I think uh, behind every success story, I always say, is a river of tears, a mountain of obstacles, and an ocean of impossible odds, but an unbreakable warrior spirit. And no matter who it is, no matter what industry, no matter what craft, you will face adversity, obstacles, setbacks, failures on your journey to unleashing your greatness in life. One thing that I always want people to know is the real story, not necessarily, oh, here's a guy who succeeded, but rather the journey of many, many, many failures, heartbreaks and setbacks, and, and somehow I'm here today by, by a lot of luck in the world. Well, you've had an incredible number of setbacks. As you think back over the last 20, 25 years, what were some of those key moments that really stood out as yeah, the, the suffering, the setbacks. Probably my most poignant memory was um, my mother came to live with me and I was sleeping on the floor and it was a tiny little room and, I, and she was sleeping in the bed. And I remember she thought I was asleep, but I saw her crying. And, you know, it, it really broke my heart to see my mother crying out of hopelessness for the family, for her kids. You know, uh, her husband abandoned us. And um, the future was quite bleak. We didn't have, you know, any money to live on. I made that mental note of, I never want to see my mother cry again and lack for food or lack for anything. And uh, that was a moment that could have broken me, but, but somehow it, it, it really unleashed, you know, fire in my belly. You're on the record as saying, poverty is one of the greatest things that that's ever happened to me. Yes. It's a yes. remarkable statement. Um, of course, when I was going through it, it was full of suffering and um, tears. But when I look back on my life journey, I'm filled with gratitude and appreciation because poverty gave me so many incredible lessons about myself, about life, about people, and I feel that that duality of my life has given me empathy and compassion and many invaluable life lessons um, that I try to share with the world because I've been on both sides and I can tell you at the end of the day, the things that matter most in life are love, honesty, dreams, passion. It not only gave me um, fire in my belly, my days in poverty, but it gave me compassion and empathy um, that I may not have had if I had never experienced poverty. Clearly, uh, you also, it's not just 
nurture, it's also nature. By the time you finished your MBA at, uh, at Harvard, you were offered very lucrative jobs, which you turned down. Did you already know at that stage that actually you do have it in you by nature? Let me rewind. Every step of the way in my life, before anything big, I've always been filled with fears, doubts, and insecurities, even to this day. When I applied to Harvard, because my mother had said, Chachar, this is the way the family is going to escape poverty, I said, there's no way I'm going to get into Harvard. There's no point in applying. I'm not smart. I was never academically gifted. And I genuinely latched on to my fears, doubts, and insecurities. But my mom said, please just try. And I applied. And when I got in, I remember distinctly being very happy for a second only. And suddenly, I was filled with fears, doubts, and insecurities. I thought to myself, this is a fluke, and we have no money, so I'm going to go and take loans and potentially get kicked out, and then I'll leave the family worse off because now we'll be poor and have debt. And so all these thoughts. And my mother, she taught me that, you know, if I fight for myself only, it's very easy to quit. But if I fight for something bigger than myself, i.e. taking my family out of poverty, it's impossible for me to quit. You know, a mother's love can give a child wings, and that's what my mother did. Um, on the same token, the plan was for me to graduate from Harvard and find a safe Fortune 500 corporate job, a six-figure job and, and, and life of stability after everything my family and I had been through. But the entrepreneurship bug bit me when I was in business school and I decided to go to Silicon Valley. And my mother was very, very upset. She said, Chacha, this is not the plan. Well, you, you had such big job offers after Harvard. Yeah, I had uh, several six-figure job offers. And um, just one of those things that I, I couldn't see myself in a safe corporate job after everything I've been through. I, you know, again, the days of suffering gave me so many beautiful life lessons. I remember thinking to myself, no matter what happens in life, that I would have the courage to chase what it is that ignites my soul. That I had the courage to chase dreams, to chase love, to chase things that were intrinsic to me, the things that mattered to me most, and not to yield to societal pressure, parental pressure, outside noise. I just had to go and, 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 and uh, go to Silicon Valley and start my first company. And uh, much to the dismay of my mother. Again, we were sleeping on the office floor, uh, in sleeping bags, eating. Every meal was $1.50. But crazy thing, when I look back at that life, and even my mom actually today, we look back at those days fondly. There's so much passion. There's so much beauty. There's so much honesty. In, in starting from ground zero, and my mother being by my side, we are dirt poor with nothing but dreams. Now, many of our viewers are watching you possibly have their own rags to riches story. Uh, many of Asia's wealthy these days, of course, came from similar circumstances. Immigrants in, in centuries gone by who also managed to conquer that adversity. But these days, we're in a position where things aren't as bad as they were back in those days. How much do you worry that a lot of that adversity that challenges people brings out that warrior spirit that you talk about, that that's not there today? 
I think that's a serious concern. You know, I mean, there's a, a Chinese proverb that says the first generation makes the money, the second grows it, and the third loses it. And there's a lot of truth in that because the invaluable, precious lessons that created success get diluted over time. And such the third generation may not understand what it took for the prior generations to get here. I think the most important thing, though, to prevent this complacency is you have to search for your own authenticity. Search for what it is that ignites your soul. Because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you are truly fighting for something much bigger than yourself, and it's truly something that you care deeply, deeply about, you will find a way to succeed. But the problem is, I feel like today, there's so much noise. You go to Instagram, people's lives are perfect, you listen to your parents, your friends, society, all this noise. And people actually have to sit down and think deeply about what is it that I want out of my life? What is it that I want to do with my precious time on this earth? And that journey of self-discovery, you can't escape it if you want to live an extraordinary life. So I always tell people, go to a beach, go to a park by yourself. Ignore all the noise, what your family says, your friends, your parents, what society says. Think deeply and bring a piece of paper. On one side of the piece of paper, write down all the things that truly ignite your soul. And on the other side of the piece of paper, write everything that you're really good at. And be as objective and honest and brutal as possible. And somewhere you will find the path of what you love most with what you're good at. You will find something in life that will truly ignite your greatness, but at the same time, leave you fulfilled, content, ever striving for more. Um, and I don't mean more in terms of material wealth for yourself, but more in terms of your impact on your friends, your family, your community, uh, your country, and, and possibly the world. But coming back to that Chinese proverb, should the second generation somehow cause suffering or, or bring about sacrifices? That also doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense. I think parents and grandparents have a deep duty not to give everything to their children right away. If you think about what are the most important things you can pass to your children, it is not a Lamborghini or Ferrari or material things. Because those things with time erode and those things are not substantive. The things that you can pass to your children are things like kindness, things like resilience and grit, things like bravery, courage to chase a dream. And that will transcend time. I think wealthy parents, because they may have made it on their own, value material things and think that's a way to express love. No, the way to express love is time. How much quality time do you spend with your kids? How do you express love is how, what are you teaching your children? So I think at the end of the day, values are enduring. Love and time are your most precious commodities. And that should be the focus of every generation. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor again. It, this is about humanity. What happens, though, if your son or daughter comes home, having sat on the beach, having made those lists that you mentioned, but then announces, I'm not going to take over the family business? What should you do then? I think that should be a very proud moment for every parent. You see, um, I think uh, 
people often make mistakes too, and not to sound arrogant about it, about imposing their desires in life onto their children or their friends or whatever it is. And what we should want for our family and friends is what is best for them by their definition, not by our definition. These are the kind of things that take a lot of courage. I think it's really about helping your children, your friends or family to find their true north, to find their authenticity, and then help them fly, encourage them, inspire them to pursue that path that ignites their souls. Wow, a proud moment when your son says, I'm going to find my true north. Do you have those moments of weakness, of failure? Because clearly in a large business like yours, also not everything goes to plan, where you then say, hey, here is a moment that's not working for us. How do we seize that moment for strength? Is, is that how it works? Definitely. I mean, um, I always tell my team that I make the most number of mistakes. I fail the most often at the company. And, you know, it's not about perfection. It's about seeking excellence. And you see, perfection, I feel, leads to mediocrity and... Perfection leads to mediocrity. Yes, because when you try to be perfect, by definition, you're trying not to make mistakes. You're not trying to win in life. You're trying not to make mistakes because that's what perfection means. Excellence is I'm going to do everything in my power, do my best. Now, I may make mistakes, I may fail, but I'm going to do my very, very best. Of course, there should be uh, a balance. It can't be recklessness, but at the same time, um, there has to be inbuilt risk-taking innovation and courage in the organization for it to succeed. Now, a lot of the viewers, Bank of Singapore clients, who perhaps are benefiting from the focus on entrepreneurship and technopreneurship, they'll be listening to you. Perhaps they'll be looking at the large-scale investments that you've been able to attract. Did you not also have some fear, doubt, and uncertainty, insecurity when you went into Sequoia Capital, when you went into Tomasek for, with your pitch for investments? Uh, definitely. I mean, you know, we were rejected by hundreds of investors in our first three years. And uh, like I said, it's a blessing that you know, the bluest chip institutional investors, the smartest money in the world, like Sequoia Capital and Tomasek, saw and believed in our vision. I do believe in the law of attraction. I know it sounds crazy, but I do believe the energy you throw out in the universe attracts energy back. And again, it sounds hokey, but if, and I'll give you an analogy. If you're someone who always spreads happiness and joy, you will attract people who, who also share that happiness and joy just in general. If you're a hater, naysayer, and doubter, and you're always full of negativity, by definition, you will repel all those happy people in your life and you will attract negative people. So that is a simple analogy for the law of attraction. And you know, for us, we had these big dreams with one and we still do. And it just so happens that the smartest investors in the world could see what we were trying to do and, and believe in our big vision. You also recently produced your own version of The Apprentice. Is this a sign of the new ways that you're looking to take the brand beyond the core? Yeah, it, it was always part of the plan. But I mean, if you think of the crown jewel as our sports properties and our values heroes and stories, um, there's a lot of shoulder content, whether it's reality TV shows, whether it's um, you know, uh, documentaries, whether it's 
you know, entertainment uh, uh, stuff. There's so many things we can do with our brand and our heroes. And the Apprentice One Championship Edition was just an extension of that. Obviously, The Apprentice is the longest running and most successful global reality TV show. When the opportunity came up for MGM and One to partner, and for me to be the star of The Apprentice, I said, okay, we'll do it. But we wanted to do it with a twist and make it the hardest Apprentice in history, where the contestants would go through the toughest physical challenges, as well as the toughest business challenges. And we pulled it off, it was great. Is that actually the sort of person that you're looking for? Whenever you hire somebody who's both physically active and also brings that hunger. The physical challenges in the show were actually not designed to test your athleticism. It was actually designed to test your warrior spirit. We put them in situations that frighten them. A helicopter underwater and you've got to escape. That's not about your athleticism. That's about your warrior spirit, your ability to handle pressure. Then we also made them jump off a 120-foot bridge. These things are about overcoming your fears, doubts, and insecurities. And so I do look for that in everybody I hire at one. You have to have a warrior spirit. You have to be a warrior in life. Are you truly unbreakable for your dreams, for your family, for your loved ones? Are you truly unbreakable? Or are you just one of these people that talk about dreams and the minute there's adversity, you quit? You have to fight through the worst days of your life in order to earn the best days of your life. Some of the sports stars in the One Championship clearly come from very disadvantaged backgrounds, such as your fighters from the Philippines, for example, who are now national heroes. Now, to what extent do you think that, to coin the old phrase, not everyone can be a warrior, but a warrior can come from anywhere. W would you agree? Greatness lives in all of us, every single person on the planet. And being a warrior for me is not about and you necessarily fight. All of humanity, we're all on this journey, whether we know it or not, conscious of it or not, of evolving into the best version of ourselves. Because as you said, many of them have gone through being an orphan, becoming a world champion, overcoming poverty, tragedy, adversity. If they can do it, so can you. But it really requires a deep sense of authenticity, true north, and a warrior spirit. Of course, we're now coming out of COVID. How much do you see the lockdowns and the economic declines over the last 18 months, firstly, impact your business, but also as an opportunity to reignite that fire, to have to cope with fresh adversity, in other words? These last 18 months have definitely been one of the toughest periods for one championship. There's no, no doubt. When the Singapore government closed the economy the first time, I think back in March, end of March of last year, I remember feeling very down for, for a few days. And then suddenly I woke up and I called the company meeting. I was inspired and I told everyone, this is the worst crisis in 100 years. This is our test to see how great we are as a team. This was just another adversity that I realized was an opportunity to discover my greatness, myself, my team. And I said, everybody, this is our moment. It's our chance to shine. 2020 ended up being a record year for us in terms of viewership numbers. And 2021 has even been stronger than that. So it just blows my mind that in the worst crisis, 
rather than succumb and look at all the problems, we chose our greatness. We chose things we could do that are in our control. And we had no idea what the outcome would be, but record TV viewership, record social media and digital viewership, and engagement metrics um, in the middle of a pandemic, for me is a, a huge testament to the greatness of my team. Did the fighters actually, were they allowed to have contact? Which is, I guess, the premise of, uh, of, the, whole, of the whole sport. We were not allowed to have audiences. And again, we were down. We we're not even allowed to throw events uh, you know, for a few months. And we didn't know if it was going to last for years or what. But we fought and fought. And we were very fortunate to partner with the Singapore government. You know, we were the very first sports or entertainment property across the entire continent of Asia to return in the middle of the pandemic. And again, I'm forever grateful to the Singapore government for their trust and belief in one. It was definitely not easy times, but we created new protocol for throwing events safely. And it was creating bubbles, whether it was our athlete bubbles from airport to hotel, coming inbound, whether it was bubbles in our, in our actual production. We had you know, different bubbles that were not allowed to intermingle across the stadium for our production of our live shows. And uh, no audiences, so we had to adapt. But again, the most important health metrics of the company, of the business, hit new record highs throughout this whole time. So I'm, uh, I'm blessed with an incredible team. How has the pandemic kicked you off perhaps in a new direction that will last beyond the pandemic? Well, I think we're much more digitally focused uh, than ever before, knowing that we can touch lives. Again, we have 50 million fans uh, on social media who interact with our content every day, multiple times a day. And obviously we're on TV in 104 countries every week. So I always tell my team we have, we have a voice and, and with that voice is responsibility. How do we want to influence shape and change the world. And I tell my team every day that what we do matters, how we portray our heroes and the stories we share matters. It matters because it's what little boys will do in how they treat little girls. It will impact how children treat their parents. It will impact right and wrong. It will impact what society deems as success. And it's, again, all about values, heroes, and stories for us so that we're able to inspire humanity, but to shape the world in a positive way. Of course, uh, those of us not into martial arts will wonder, how is it that people get so excited about fighting? Isn't, isn't it a brutal, violent sport? That's the biggest misconception about martial arts is that it's about violence. You know, as someone who's been doing martial arts for over 35 years, uh, Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I can tell you that, yes, I can kick ass and I can defend myself in real life, but the deeper meaning of martial arts is through thousands of hours of training, I've inherited a warrior spirit. I've inherited integrity, humility, honor, respect, courage, discipline. And if you think about why millions of parents all over the continent of Asia send their kids to martial arts schools, even to this day, it's not for their kids to learn violence, it's for their kids to learn these incredible values. How do you teach a child courage? 
How do you teach a child to overcome adversity? How do you teach a child work ethic? And that's why it is Asia's greatest cultural treasure. If you think about 5,000 year history on the continent, it's a bedrock of culture, of values. You really wonder, you know, where is the world heading? That we are losing sight of what really matters in life. Again, it's about love. It's about your family, your friends. It's about values. And I hope that our fans and our future fans will find inspiration and truth and beauty in what One Champion is doing with our values, heroes, and stories. You know, I'm a lifelong martial artist, expert, been doing Muay Thai for over 35 plus years. And recently I just received my brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I get beaten up and smashed every day when I train. And why am I so proud of having a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially at my age? You see, when people become successful in anything in life, we lose the inner child. We lose the desire to be a beginner. So I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu 16 years ago, even though I was expert martial arts already. And I wore a white belt because it's, it's a totally different martial art. And I have been beaten up for 16 years to get my brown belt. And one day I would like to get my black belt. And it means I have to get beaten up again for more years. I'm on the mats training, forging myself through fire, even though I don't need to. And again, this is, it's because martial arts is what I love. Martial arts is who I am. I live with passion and purpose. So that's what I would say to every single person on this planet. It's not just about whether you're young or old, rich or poor. It's when are you going to be happiest? It's when you are chasing your own authenticity, chasing your greatness. And that is, I believe, one of the greatest secrets of living a fulfilled life and make an impact on your loved ones, your friends, your community, your country, and eventually, if you're lucky enough, the world. Now, to some extent, because you've spent so much of your time talking to us about the virtues of poverty, the fire in the belly that you get from suffering and sacrifice, this may sound like an odd question. Do you think you're now too successful? Do you see a need for yourself to go through tougher times again in order to come back even stronger than you are today? As grateful as I am for those days in poverty, I never want to go back to those days. And I'm working harder today than I've ever worked in my life. And in some part, it's because of that fear that I may lose it all and wake up and it was all just a dream. And I don't think I will ever live a life of complacency just because I have quote unquote made it. To me, it still feels like day one. Day one when I was poor. Day one when we first started the company. Day one. And that's how I live my life is day one. Day one, I have nothing. I'm a nobody. And I'm in search of my own greatness. I'm in search of the things that matter most to me. And I think I'll be this way until my very, very last day. I, I, I'm just extremely driven. As a person, I'm very passionate. This journey of the last 10 years has been phenomenal and I'm grateful for all the blessings. But for me, it's still day one. And looking out into the future, what's next? What's next is, uh, you know, uh, several months ago, Nielsen, which is the uh, world's leading authority on TV viewership numbers around the world for the 
media entertainment industry ranked one in the top 10 in the world in terms of largest size, in terms of viewership and engagement metrics. You know, in the near term, the next several years, we'd like to be top five in the world. And eventually we want to, we truly believe that we have the opportunity to become the world's most valuable sports media property. I receive these reports every week and our numbers continue to grow exponentially. Just to give you perspective, several years ago when I started our Facebook page, I was our social media manager, our first social media manager. Um, that year, we did 150,000 video views online. One year. In, 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 in the first year, which is tiny. Last year, we crossed 7.7 .7 billion organic video views. This year, we're on a run rate of 30 billion, not million, billion organic video views. And that's just an example of exponential growth that one is experiencing. We truly believe our values and heroes and stories. We believe in our mission, but also we're creating content that millennials and Gen Z love, and it's speaking to them. So I feel like the sky's the limit, and my team and I, we genuinely believe it's still only day one. It's been a great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you again for making the time. Thank you for having me, appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by Bank of Singapore.